Thanks for being patient while we experiment with moving you around and roping things off. I know that's probably not your favorite, and we love you and appreciate you being patient. We just try to kind of create a, a warm and easy atmosphere that we can kind of look you in the eye and you can look us in the eye. And, and, the, and as we kind of go along here on Sunday evening, it might even be uh, possible that we have some dialogue. Ten, tonight, let me just kind of explain what we're doing. We're, we're, we're making a little bit of a change here. I think you, you'll like, because I was praying and thinking about you. I was thinking about who comes on Sunday night. Who are those people, you know? And what what is it that makes them tick? And what is it that they need? And what is it that... Uh, their hearts are, uh, you know, and, and here's what, here's what um, I feel like the Lord directed me to do. And I got a lot of counsel on this. I talked to a lot of people about it. And, and here, so here's the deal. So um, what if we, you know, we have those um, questions that you get that l- allow you to prepare for the message ahead of time? And you're, and you're, and by the way, I don't write those questions. I'll, I'll be involved maybe a little bit later. Pastor Lounsborough has written all of those questions. So we're really grateful. I, I get a lot of great, I get a lot of um, compliments <laughs> on those questions. And I was like, yeah. Um, I, sometimes I tell them, I, you write them, and other times I just let them think highly of me for a while there. Um, but the, he's done that. Uh, but, um, and later on, Pastor Discerns and, and Pastor Lounsborough and I plan to have a little roundtable where we talk over those questions, all three of us, uh, before you get them. Uh, so that it's even a more of a, like, uh, comes from the pastors, comes to you. You study the passage. You know, that makes the passage of Scripture the heart of what everybody's looking at. So you study that ahead of time. You kind of get the joy of what I get as I study the passage ahead of time through the week, and I just feel the building of the learning and sometimes the conviction and the joy. And, And by the time I get to Sunday, it's like, this is a really great, important passage. I can't wait to teach it. And then on Sunday morning, we come together as a family. We preach that passage, and... And then, on, you know, hopefully you talk about it a little bit, you know, the implications of that in your life with your loved ones. And then if you have chosen to be a part of a grow group, that's another option. If some of the grow groups are sermon-based grow groups, and some of them aren't, but, and that's fine. But the sermon-based grow groups then would, you'd study, you'd talk together. So it's almost like you, you study and contemplate, you listen, and then you talk, and then you, you act on that. Well, here's another layer for you that choose Sunday nights. You're really special to me. Um, if, like, I'll give an example. If my parents were in this church, they would be in this service. They would be the last people to stop coming to. The, I mean, just you know, so that so they would be special to me. Just so that's the way I feel about you. And so, yes, we're trying to launch that grow group thing. And but and, but but here's here's what I intend to do. And that is, rather than having a standalone series on Sunday night, rather than going somewhere else and doing a different series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go deeper in the same passage, or we're going to launch from that very same passage on Sunday night. Now, this is not going to be like cheap, warmed-up stuff. Don't misunderstand. You'll see this tonight. We're going to spend hours studying the Bible so that we can take you just a wee bit deeper, or we're going to take you on an applicational kind of like wonderful rabbit trail. Like, for instance, I won't do this tonight, but here's what I was thinking all week I was going to do to a little bit closer on, is this morning we ended on that these people have not repented part of verses 21, 20 and 21, and like they have a hard heart. So tonight I could preach on people in the Bible who had a hard heart. Or I could preach tonight on five ways to keep your heart tender to the Lord. 
But that's not what I'm going to do because there's a little bit of a different direction that I feel like I'd like to go. And that is, um, in, the, in the text this morning, you notice that there was the, the, the one who fell and he had the keys to the bottomless pit. And it seemed like hell and the demons came out of that. And that kind of makes you kind of think, so what about all those times in the Bible when you were reading? And maybe you're reading a modern translation and you're, you're familiar maybe with the King James and it said hell. And then in the modern translation, it says the grave. You ever notice that? Or it says Sheol. And you kind of think, now what's that? Doesn't the King James say hell there? And why does it say Sheol? And so tonight what I'd like to do is I want to talk about hell a little bit. And, and my message title is, and I'll give away my application a little bit, is there hell? If so, we should act like it. There was a famous pastor who was powerfully used of the Lord. And he came to Detroit years ago. And he preached at a convention. Some of you may have been present at that convention. In the, oh, I think it was the Sunday school convention at Cobo Hall. Remember how huge that was? It was huge. 10,000 people in Cobo Hall. And I, had, I listened to a recording of this very same message today. It's, and I've heard the message given by the man live is, is a very direct and simple and powerful message. It was to motivate Sunday school teachers and Christian workers. And the message was called, Is There a Hell? Is There a Hell? And it was a powerful message. And I've never forgot, forgotten it. And it really kind of boils down to that. Is there really a hell? That we t- if, if, that's, if there really is a hell, that should have some pretty powerful implications. The story is told of C.S. Lewis that he was listening to a young preacher's sermon on the subject of God's judgment and sin. At the end of the message, the young man says, If you don't receive Christ as Savior, you will suffer grave eschatological ramifications. C.S. Lewis says, did you mean to say they would go to hell? He says, precisely. Lewis says, well, then from now on, say that. Be direct. It's kind of what we want to do here. I'll talk a little bit tonight, and we'll be some teaching. There'll be some exhortation. I think there'll be some help, some biblical terms. So let's talk a little bit quickly about biblical terms that describe where the dead are. So we're just like, for instance, there is this, there is this abyss that we talked about today. And, we, and you notice that I referred to what Jesus said about Satan falling. And then we referred to what Peter said about the demons being cast into a place that Second Peter calls, is translated hell. But it has a unique Greek word called Tartarus that's not used anywhere else in the Bible. And so it's not the same Greek word that's usually used for hell. And it's not the same Hebrew word used for the grave or the same Greek word used for the grave. And so um, the, the biblical term describing the de- where the dead are, there are vi- different biblical terms describing where the dead are. So I don't want to confuse you. I want to actually bring some light to this. And so little by little, we'll learn here. But there's this term in the Hebrew called Sheol, also kind of known as the grave or death. It doesn't really refer to hell specifically, but the place of the dead in the, in the Hebrew. In the, in the Greek, Hades. It's a, Hades is a Greek term that refers to hell. A place of torment. And by the way, this is the term used in Luke 16 when the rich man went to hell and he suffered there. Remember that? So we know that, 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 that Hades is a place of suffering. So if you come on your Bible in the King James, it said hell, and then some, it's translated Hades. It doesn't mean it's not a place of suffering. It is a place of suffering. Not the eternal hell, but it is a place of suffering. And this is the term used there in Luke 10 and verse 15, Luke 16. Then there's the term in the Greek Gehenna. Sheol in the Hebrew. Hades in the Greek, 
are, are, are generally thought of to refer to this different ways of referring to the same place. But then there's the term Gehenna, the Greek term. is borrowed from a literal place like a dump, where they, a place where they had burning a burning dump. And this always refers to hell as a place of torment in the Bible. So when that term is used in the Greek language, it's used to refer to hell. And it's also re- referred to as the final abode of unbelievers, also called the lake of fire. And this is a technical term, an important one to remember, because when you get to the end of the Bible, and that's what, what people that aren't written in the Lamb's Book of Life are cast into a lake of fire with the devil and his angels. So these are terms for places where people go when they're dead. Sheol, the Hebrew term meaning the grave. Hades, the Greek term meaning also hell or the grave. Gehenna, the Greek term meaning lake of fire or the, the eternal place of torment. Sometimes the word Abraham's bosom was used, Luke 16, 22, as a place of eternal comfort. The term paradise, Jesus used on the thief, to the thief on the cross. He said, you'll be with me today in paradise, also a place of eternal comfort. And in the New Testament, there's a term often used, and you and I use this term, and it's a beautiful term, phrase called with the Lord, with the Lord. It's a key phrase that describes church-aid believers after they die, they go to be with the Lord. More importantly than anything else, they go to be with the Lord. So believers after they're resurrected. Notice that there is no term in the Bible for purgatory. The Bible has no term for that. No teaching in the Bible at all about purgatory. Some have said there's a purgatory. Well, that doesn't come from the Bible at all. It's not a biblical term at all. Not a biblical idea. But what about those demons? You know, they, they were, that we were studying this morning, they were in this place that Second Peter, I believe, is the same place called Tartarus or, or the abyss or the bottomless pit. I'm reading from Dr. Paul Benware, who was on staff at Moody. Uh, he says, the bottomless pit is one word in the Greek of the New Testament, literally the abyss, which means bottomless, unbounded, the pit, unmeasurable depth. The bottomless pit of Revelation 9 holds a unique type of demon. We studied that this morning. It's also the the home of the beast who makes war against the two witnesses that are going to come up later in Revelation 11. At the beginning of the millennial kingdom, the bottomless pit is the place where Satan is bound during the 1,000-year reign, the millennial kingdom. It's at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released and promptly leads an unsuccessful revolt against God. And some of you are sitting there thinking, why are you teaching this, Pastor? One of the reasons is because we should be people that are of the word and, and precise. And when you stumble on, you know, terms that, that seem somewhat different, there are differences of meaning, and we should probably understand them. Uh, this is a probably over, an oversimplification, but it's an oversimplification in a way to say there's kind of a, a temporary holding hell, and there's an eternal hell, and there's sort of like a temporary place of bliss with the Lord and an eternal place of bliss with the Lord, the new heaven and the new earth. So when you're a kid, you just say heaven and hell, and you just have them all kind of lumped off together. When you grow up, you get a little bit more precision about that. The bottomless pit may be associated again with this place, Tartarus, the Greek word translated hell, used only once in the Bible there in Second Peter 2 and 4. It refers to the place where the angels... Oh, I was going to say 2 Corinthians today. <laughs> totally forgot that. Had that all lined up and I forgot. Dogs. 2 Corinthians. I'll get that next week. You watch for that. Come back. Bring your friends, you know. So, yeah, this is like, if, if I wasn't so hyperactive, I would be a better 
teacher, wouldn't I? Anyway, the, if Tartarus is the same as the abyss, and I think it is, the inhabitants of the bottomless pit are the same angels who sinned and left their first habitation. And if you're a Bible scholar, that kind of makes you think all kinds of interesting things, and it takes you back to Genesis 6 and other places like that. We're not going there uh, tonight. Um, at the, they're released for a short time during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. They fulfill God's purpose, these demons, namely to torment the wicked. Revelation 9.5, we studied that this morning. These prisoners of the bottomless pit, they hate humanity. They seek to destroy humanity, but God controls their terror. He limits their power. We talked about that this morning. In the Old Testament, the word translated hell, again, is Sheol, often. In the New Testament, the word translated hell is Hades, meaning unseen, or Gehenna, which means the Valley of Hinnom. So let's say this another way. This is another way of saying the same thing I just told you. I'm going to go over it again because you want to get your money's worth tonight. Okay, so number one, hell. In common usage, this term refers to the place of future punishment for the wicked. The word properly translated hell in the New Testament is the Greek uh, Gehenna or Gina, the place of the Valley of Hinnom where human sacrifices were offered and where the continual burning of rubbish made it an apt illustration of an eternal lake of fire. Matthew 5.22, Jesus referred to it other, many other places. And incidentally, Jesus referred to hell more often than anybody else in the Bible. Other words like Sheol or Hades are sometimes improperly translated hell. And so that's why it sometimes creates a confusion. Then the Sheol term, this is a, this is, uh, we're going over the same material in a different way. The general idea of the word is the place of the dead, including the grave. The unseen place of those who departed this life. And that's why sometimes it will say, Good people go to Sheol and bad people go to Sheol. It's like, like there's a division there, and yet it's the grave. And so it's the place of the departed spirits of both righteous and the wicked. And you, the righteous, like Genesis 37, and the wicked, like Proverbs 9.18, says they go that, there. And so you, you kind of track what I'm saying. Hades, then, is the, is the word in the New Testament um, counterpart of she, Hebrew Sheol. And it refers to the unseen world in general, but specifically to the abode of the unsaved dead between death and the final judgment at the great white throne. It differs from hell because it's temporary while hell is permanent. It's like hell because it's a place of torment for the, un, for the wicked, like the rich man in the, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And then, of course, there is the lake of fire. I'm repeating, you know, it refers to the eternal state of the wicked who are forever separated from God, consigned to a special abode of suffering because of their rejection of Christ, because of their lack of the righteousness of Christ. Like it talks about the second death in Revelation 20 and verse 14. It says that the devil and his angels are going there, but it also says all of those whose names are not written in the book of life are going to go to the lake of fire to hell. Uh, some have said, because it's such a horrific truth to really receive, they have said, well, maybe hell is just annihilation. Maybe people just get annihilated and they don't suffer forever and ever. That just seems so horrible, which of course it is. So let's ask the question, what does the Bible say? By the way, sometimes people say, well, I just don't think that that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's right. Well, you know, and, and kind of, can I, can I say this in a gentle way? It's not really important so much whether it fits our fallen logic. Remember, we're, we're, we're in a broken world, and the broken world is affected the way we think. Our thinking is muddled. Remember, sin makes you 
Yeah. So our thinking is muddled because we're fallen creatures. So we want to depend on our thinking. We want to depend on what the Bible reveals. You say, why? Well, think about that. You want to believe in heaven and Jesus. What we know, how do we know what we know about Jesus? There's only one way we know what we know about Jesus is the Bible has revealed him to us. Is your mama in heaven? How do you know? Is your daughter in heaven? How do you know? Because Jesus said so. He promised you that. If we let go of that promise that our mama is in heaven, that our daughter is in heaven, then, then if we say, well, the Bible is true about that, but it's not true about hell, then, then throw the Bible away. You don't believe it. So we, we have to receive all this. The logic of this is in, inescapable. The scriptures are clear. Jesus is God. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And the hell is, it doesn't matter what you think, what your logic thinks, or it doesn't matter how you feel. I often hear people talk about hell, and then they talk about, well, I think this, or the God that I believe in this, or I feel like God with that, as if they are morally superior to God, as if they are more merciful or more righteous than God who has spoken in his word. I even hear preachers, it bugs me when preachers say, well, if I wrote the Bible, I wouldn't have put that in. I'm like, are you kidding me? That, that's malpractice. It, you know, we're going to assume you didn't know what you were talking about when you said that. You should turn in your pastor card if you ever say that. The Bible isn't, you know, we don't tell God. We think like, it's like, for instance, this, this, I was thinking about this this morning. Think, all, these, all this time in the tribulation. But, you know, I think the church is, in our church is starting to feel why it is that God put so much in there. We, about the tribulation, Lois, you've often said to me, you know, you should preach about the fear of God. You should preach about the wrath of God. You should preach about heaven. You should preach about, you should preach about hell because my little wife got saved because the little hillbilly church over there had the most awful Christian movie ever known to mankind called The Burning Hell. And she got saved. She got really saved and she's still saved. And, and, and think about that because they just simply taught the, that there is a hell and it scared her. Well, it's, hell is scary. You should be scared when you think about hell. Maybe we're, maybe we're too smart for our own good, you know. And so, Lois, there you go. You know, when we're preaching through the tribulation, the tribulation, the tribulation, the tribulation, you should be loving on that. You know, that's exactly what you told me I should be, you be doing because we're hit. And, and that's true. I'm not picking on my wife like I normally do every, every week. But I'm just saying that, um, you know, you've heard of pastors. They're all slick and cool. And, they got, you know, they got big ministries. And, and, and they don't ever talk about hell. They don't ever talk about judgment. They don't ever talk about tribulation. They don't ever talk about... That's not faithful. That's not right. That's not even going to work. Listen, there are people that are writing books about this. A guy named Rob Bell. Very, you understand, Calvary Undenominational Church in Grand Rapids is a flagship evangelical church in our part of the world. I mean, it, was, it had M.R. Dahan. We're talking about some big hitters. Out of that church, they, they, start, they started a church with this young, promising young guy named Rob Bell. And he starts another church in, in Grand Rapids out of that church, sponsored by that church, endorsed, you know, initially by, by that church. And he's, it's called Mars Hill, and it, it draws thousands of people for a while. And he writes a book not too long ago called Love Wins. And here's what he says in the book Love Wins. A staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyful place called heaven, while the rest of humanity will spend forever in the torment and punishment of hell with no chance for anything better. It's been clearly communicated to many that this belief is the central truth of the Christian faith, and to reject it, in essence, is to reject Jesus. This misguided, toxic, and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, and forgiveness and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. 
That's really bad heresy. Not to just pick on him because I actually like him as a person. I think he's like brilliant in a lot of ways, but he's like a really sharp false teacher. But he quit the church. He's gone. The guy after him also lost his faith and left the church. He's renounced the historic faith and left the church. His, the guy after him renounced the, the genuine historic faith and left the church. Because you just don't have a church if you don't have a Bible. But, and, I, and I'm not being unkind. I'm just saying that this is a lot of times what people, they want to hear a, a kind of a religion. I want Jesus in heaven, but I don't want hell. It, it just doesn't work like that. For, for us to know churches that are faithful, that will be doing what God wants them to do when Jesus comes back, are churches that believe in heaven and hell. They're not giddy about it. But they understand that it's true. That, that's, there's there's got to be... Does the Bible teach there is an eternal hell? Well, just let's look at the Bible. Rather than saying, this is what I think, this is how I feel. And just before I go here, often when we're having conversations about doctrine, you'll hear good Christian people go, well, I'll tell you how I feel. What do you think about that? Well, okay, let's get beyond your feelings. Now, let me tell you what I think. Well, it doesn't really matter that much what you think. What does it matter? What should we be talking about? What does the Bible say? This is what we're about. This is what, this is, what does the Bible say? We should be talking about, what does the Bible say? You know, we should be talking after church, like, what does the Bible say? And, and okay, so often, you know, when we're talking about what we believe about certain things, I will, somebody will, sometimes folk will come and they'll, and they'll be in difficulty in their life. Uh, and, and, and they'll come to me for help. And I will say to them, well, you know, what does the Bible say about that? And they'll say, I think this and I think that. And you'll say, well, where does it say that in the Bible? I don't know. A pastor told me it was there. Now, they are like making life and death decisions about their family, about their marriage, about their kids, and they can't even find the Bible verses that go with that. I'm like, if, even if you reject them, at least figure out where they are. Find out their address, read them and study them. So often what I first tell people is, here are some Bible verses. A lady comes to me and she says, this is what I want to do with my life and my marriage. And I'll say, well, here's some Bible verses. You know, Take them home and read them and come back and tell me what you think after you've read the Bible. But often people will say they have strong opinions they're actually going to base their marriage or parenting or their job on, and they don't even know where the Bible talks about that. And so, obviously, this is where we begin with hell. It's like, what does the Bible say? Not how do I feel. Don't, don't decide how you feel until you find out what the Bible says. And then take your fallen feelings and calibrate them to the Bible. Take your, that's the way it is. Like people say, well, if that man did that to me, I would divorce him. Does the Bible say you can divorce him? Well, I don't care. Yeah, you don't, do you? Then Jesus isn't your Lord in the Bible. Jesus isn't your Lord if the Bible isn't your rule of faith and practice. You say, I'm a Christian. Well, yeah, yeah. You say, what, what is a Christian? Isn't a Christian a person that follows Jesus? And so you, you, you say you're smarter than God when it comes to marriage. You're smarter than God when it comes to parenting. You're smarter than God when it comes to heaven and hell. No, I don't think so. And so I'm not chastising you. I mean, I think you're the Bible-toting crowd here. I'm just encouraging you. And so what does the Bible say about eternal hell? Here we go. Are you ready? Is hell forever? This is a question that some people have. They struggle with this. Is, is, I believe there's a hell. Maybe it's annihilation. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm, okay, is that true? No. And here's how, here's number one, hell is called everlasting punishment. Matthew 25, and this is in the, the, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says, verse 46, these will go away into everlasting punishment. And then he says, the righteous into 
everlasting life. So if people say, well, heaven is forever, but hell's not, they got a real problem with that verse. Because it's a parallelism. Eternal death, eternal life, meaning eternal life goes on and on. Eternal death goes on and on. Hell is everlasting punishment, number one. Number two, hell is eternal condemnation. Mark 3 and verse 29, He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Eternal condemnation. Three, hell is called eternal judgment. In Hebrews 6, 2, the doctrine of that. Remember this? Is, he says, this is basic. This is like basic stuff. I'd like to teach you more, but I have to stay with this basic stuff, he says. And then he lists in Hebrews 6, 2, doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection from the dead, of eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Number four, hell is called everlasting destruction. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The Jesus who talks about heaven talks about everlasting hell. The Jesus who talks about everlasting life talks about everlasting punishment. The Jesus who teaches us where our grandma went when she died and she trusted him also teaches us where people who haven't trusted him go. Hell is called everlasting punishment, eternal condemnation, eternal judgment, everlasting destruction. Hell is also called eternal fire. Matthew 18, 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. Jesus says, it's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or feet be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pick it out, cast it from, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, earlier referred to as everlasting fire. It's not fun. It's just we need to tell the truth. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then we will also say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jude, verse 7. And Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Do you see what I'm saying? The Bible, you can't say, I believe in the Bible, but I believe that the hell of the Bible is annihilation. That's just not rational. And it's not historically. There's been little bubbles of heresy that crop up every once in a while in the church, but, the, but people who know the Bible have crushed those, popped those bubbles of heresy. The Orthodox, historic Christian church understands that if you say that hell isn't forever, you have to distort, twist the Bible. The Bible just teaches. In other words, the God who made us knows how we operate best, knows we need to believe that there is a, such a thing as an eternal conscious torment. It's, it's, it's a part of what ought to motivate us to do what is right. And hell, verse number six, um, hell is called unquenchable fire. Uh, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, this is in um, Mark nine forty two, and he's going to quote Isaiah here. Um, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for him for a millstone to be hung about his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell into fire. That will never be quenched. 
where the worm doesn't die, the fire is not quenched, your foot cuts, causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter lame than having two feet be cast into hell, into that fire which shall never be quenched. This is Jesus who taught this. Where their worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter in the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die, where the fire is not quenched. Does it sound like it's annihilation and it's over real quick? And it's got, that's not what the scriptures are teaching. Seven, and finally, hell is called eternal torment. So hell is called everlasting punishment. Hell is called eternal condemnation. Hell is called eternal judgment. Hell is called everlasting destruction. Hell is called eternal fire. Hell is called unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. And hell is called eternal torment. That's why we don't want to fuss about little stuff in the church. Because there's a hell. And we can't fiddle while Rome burns. There's a hell, and there are people that are not going to come here unless we go and get them. And if we spend our time, you know, horsing around with little stuff, like my preferences are yours, you know, I'm not chastising you, I'm just encouraging and motivating you, you know. It's like we got to press through that stuff and say, wait a minute, do you smell the smoke? Do you feel the heat of the fire? There's smoke. There are people that are, par- you hear them? You hear them right there? They're crying out. They're going, help me, help me. Help me with my little girl. Help me with my little boy. <laughs> Our church is reaching a family right now. It's just so sweet. <laughs> and they got a little tiny, adorable five-year-old girl. She's there with her dad today looking up at me. And I was just thinking, what a... They're, they're like just taking hold of God and the things. that He's going to get baptized here in a few weeks. What a difference this church is making in that family. Literally keeping people out of hell. <laughs> churches that ought to believe in hell so that it's, oh, it's a fire under us and keeps us from, you know, running a museum or being petty or, you know, sucking our thumb or whatever, getting my feel. I get my feelings hurt and I, my wife has to give me a kick in the tail, you know, verbally. She did it this week. Come on, Ken. You know, she said, you know, get going. You know, I have it so bad. I won't tell you the exact words she used. They're very direct. And I, and I needed that. You know, I needed that. Don't be a baby, you know. Get going. That's, that's the thing. We can't be a baby because, like, there's a hell. There's a heaven. Let's get going, you know. That's a, we got to stay with it, you know, and not let our feelings be hurt. And I'm sure we go around hurting people's feelings. Cause, but listen, the, the hell is called eternal torment. Uh, Revelation 19.20, the beast was captured with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. And they were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. In chapter 20 and verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where a beast and a false prophet are, and they will be tormented how long? Day and night, forever and ever. And this is the same place where people whose names aren't written in the book of life are cast. It's forever, folks. You can't, you can't say annihilation. You have to butcher the Bible to do that. So just to help you there. What are the implications? Well, the implications are kind of obvious, right? You don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want anybody I love to go there. I don't even want the people I hate to go there. And, and, and just think about that. You, you don't want your loved ones to go there. You, 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 you can help keep other people from going to hell. 
That's amazing. You have the gospel and you know the way, you have the key to the kingdom. You have a you may be a common person and what you do may seem like all not that important, but if you can get one person convinced to believe that Jesus is God, they are not going to go to hell forever and ever. Think about that. That should motivate us. One little little sweet kid in Awana that goes God's way. Ryan, you know, comes around here all the time. And his mom came just like, please help me with this boy. He's a good kid. He doesn't have a daddy. So Ryan will be hanging around here on a, on a Wednesday night. He's hungry for love, right? So Ryan doesn't have to go to hell. He told me the other night he was saved. He needs to get discipled and baptized. That's what we ought to be all about, right? What are the implications? We're the people that keep folks from going to hell here. (laughs) We can go get them and help them. And you say, well, sometimes they reject us. Keep moving, you know, keep moving. Come back later. Keep moving. Find somebody else. Find out who wants to be saved. Find out who wants to be helped. Find out who's hungry. Find out who's sad. Find out who's guilty. Talk about Jesus, even if you're not good at it. And somebody will be out there. God will help you. He'll feel bad for you. And he'll help you, you know. So how about you tonight? You're like, you're sitting here tonight. Are you, are you sure? What if you died tonight? You know, I had a boy named Byron. He was my youth group. He was 14 years old. He went to a friend's house. He came home and he died in his sleep. Nobody even today knows why. He's 14. He just died. What if you died tonight? Do you know that you will go to be with God or will you suffer in hell forever? Don't come and go and think, you know, that it's, it's okay. It's, it's, you know, ask. Somebody here will help you. What are the implications? Well, the implications is there's nothing more important than what we're doing in this church right now. The implications are, I know that you guys come on Monday night. Those of you that come on Monday night, you work really hard and, and you spend lots of hours. I'm not even here. You know, I think about you. I pray for you. I come by every once in a while, not very often. And Monday night, people are laboring away with precious people, some of whom know the Lord, some of whom don't know the Lord yet. Sometimes you think, well, it would be easier to go home, put my feet up by the fire. I think about you. And, and thank you for serving. Thank you for trying to reach somebody, doing something, you know, doing something. We can't let that guiding hands, pregnancy refuge thing, we got to keep it going and growing, don't we? Because it's like a place that we can help people. The same way with, by the way, you know, our uh, our little ministry there that that our church just hosts uh, with Jay, help me, Jay Cooper, of course. Jay sent a letter this month. He he's got he's got a lack of funding, you know, like everybody does. His kind of funding's gone down a little bit. And and uh, and you drive by Eureka Heights Elementary when you go down, um, you Eureka look over that way. You just think, well, there's little kids. There's a there's a fifty of them. And, they, and Jay gives the gospel. He, he, his home church is the church where Lois got saved. Southside Baptist Tabernacle. Bunch of hillbillies. Don't know anything better than to preach about hell. <laughs> Think about that. So that's, kind of, that's why we, 
you know, you don't have to call it simple church, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter what you call it. As long as we're telling people about Jesus and helping them and trying to find somebody. I know, I know you're thinking, well, Pastor, you, you're bugging me, you know, because I try and I don't know anybody. Well, that's okay. You know, just love people, pray for people, ask God. Get up every morning and ask the same prayer. God, I want to reach somebody, so help me, show me somebody. Put somebody in my path. Help me find somebody. You know, f- f- mill around and, and look and think clearly. Winning people to Christ and getting professing believers to live as if there is a hell and there's their heaven and Christ. That's all that matters. That's the whole, you know, we're watching those debates. And you're thinking, which one of these guys, which one of these gals is going to pull a, you know, a rabbit out of their hat and save America? You know they're not going to do that. Come on. And we got Christian. I'm sorry, but I love the Falwell family. I do. I respect them. And we got... We got, we got uh, college presidents endorsing people that own strip clubs to be the president of the United States who can't even find their way around the Bible saying they're Christians. Okay, come on, seriously. And so we got a lot of Christians that are like, oh, maybe if we get him elected because he says hard things. Like, I'm not talking for or against that. I'm just trying to tell you, can you just see that, that noodling around with who we get elected is important as our civic duties are that we would vote for the most righteous and godly people who are going to pray and read their Bible and rule by God's law. That's important for Christians. But nothing's going to turn this nation around until God the Holy Spirit breathes on it and people, enough people get saved and they act like they're saved and they vote like they're saved and they live like they're saved. That's the answer. They're going to be, you know, we're too excited about that political process. And we're not excited enough about the gospel. And we're not excited enough about the fact that we have the privilege of rescuing people from hell. So the nation is going to do all kinds of crazy stuff in our lifetime if we live. And we just need to keep doing the same thing. And that is plucking people off the deck of the Titanic before it sinks. It's that simple. There's a Bible. The God of the Bible is God. His son is Jesus Christ. He died and was buried and rose again for our eternal life. Those who believe in him will go to heaven forever. Those who don't believe in him will go to hell forever. Isn't it really clear what our job is? So we're not a political action committee. We're a, we're a church of Jesus Christ. It's bigger than that. And, and so uh, when you take your Bible and open up to Luke 16 and watch what's happening with that guy there. Revelation 20 and verse 15. Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a night, the night Ken Rudolph was preaching on that years ago and I brought little Holly. She's five years old and she heard him preach that. And she's like, Daddy, is my name in the book? I know I've told you that before. I, I like it. It's my story, right? Is, my name, is your name in the book? I'm, I'm glad her name's in the book. <laughs> Hope your name's in the book. I noticed recently that a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of Christian leaders are, like on Twitter and everything, they're like leadership coaches, <laughs> which is probably okay. I mean, I'm not against the leadership coaches. That sounds cool. I'm a leadership coach. Sounds all hip, you know. Let me coach you. And I, I don't know. I, I was just thinking that this week, and I thought, well, and that's okay. If you're a leadership coach, I'm not picking on you, you know. It's like, but there used to be a time in America where the thing to be was like an evangelist. You know, 
It was like, you know, and now a lot of le- Christian leaders are like, are you, are you like, what, what is that leadership coach thing? I, 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 I get it. You know, I, I'm not saying that's not legitimate to help people do well, but I just think in America, what we need are more evangelists that are crisscrossing the land, trying to make the gospel plain to people and more individual Christians who are saying, I don't know what you want to do, but I just want to talk to people about Jesus and gather as many as I can. And if nothing else, my neighbors will know. Because we can't make them get saved, but we can certainly get the truth to them. There are so many means of getting the truth to them. Videos and tapes and all kinds of crazy stuff. And if you pray, God will put somebody in your path. Like, like our friend Kevin, who's just really seeking the Lord and spent hours with me this week. He's going to spend hours with me next week. And he's really wrestling with the things of the faith. And his brother now, and I'm, he says, I don't know how to help my brother. He told probably his brother, I said, tell him what I'm telling you. Go tell your brother what I'm telling you. He might lead his brother, Lord, before he gets saved. You know, that could happen. That happens. And so, is there a hell? I, they said about uh, the 9-11 thing, you know, that the, the heroes were, the, were the, uh, the men who were going into the buildings when people were running out of the buildings, right? Firefighters literally took their job so seriously that when everybody was running out to get as far away from those buildings as they could, they were running in. And they said for days after that, those men smelled of smoke. Our church people ought to smell of smoke. The kind of smoke that, like, we went after lost people. We stumble and we, we fail and we're struggling. It's like, that's okay. Just, you know, efforts in that direction because, you know, there is a hell. We're probably too casual. We're probably too academic. We're probably not all that convincing because we kind of forget there is a hell. So give me a couple of minutes. Let me just read some of the transcript of that fellow's message. I asked you the question, he said, in Cobo Hall that night. Is there a hell? Is there a place where people are burning right now? Is there a place where they plead for one drop of water to cool their tongue or they're tormented in the flames? Is there a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire isn't quenched? Is there really a hell? Is there a place where he shall say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Is it true that the wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God? Is there a place where those not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire? Is the rich man still weeping and begging in hell? Is it true that my unsaved father, he says, who died a drunkard's death is in hell? Is he still burning after all these years? Was I standing between the living and the dead that night? When I talked to my father on January 1st, 1950, and I pleaded with him to get saved, he told me that he would. He was going to wait till the spring. But the spring never came because he died on May 13th of that year. Is it true there's a hell? Is it true that your loved ones without Christ are going to go to hell? Is it true that the one who carried you in her womb, who is unsaved, will burn in hell? Is it true that the only man who I ever called daddy was lost and going to hell? Is your unsaved brother really going to a place of torment? Do you, do those who hear you preach and reject the gospel, do they really die without Christ and go to hell to burn forever? Is it true that those millions within driving distance of this great church who live without Christ and who die without Christ, is it true that they will burn in hell forever? Is, is there a hell? If it isn't true, I'm going to go home. If it isn't true, I'm not going to go to the pulpit again. If it isn't true, I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. If it isn't true, let's just call the missionaries home. If it isn't true, let's make a planter out of the baptistry. Let's close the church doors and quit the ministry. If it isn't true, let's just go make money. If it isn't true, let's just live it up. If, if there isn't a hell, why? 
But if it's true, shouldn't we get organized? If it's true, shouldn't we plead for God to give us his power? If it's true, shouldn't we set our boys on fire to preach the gospel? If it's true, shouldn't we fill our baptistries and baptize people as often as we can? And if it's true, shouldn't we quit trading the prayer closet for the voting booth, he says in 1960. If it's true, let's keep our concern for the murder of the unborn, but let's be more concerned about the salvation of the born. If it's true, let's keep our burden for the right to life, but have a bigger burden for the right to eternal life. If it's true, let's get back to old-fashioned window-rattling, shingle-pulling, barnstorming, hellfire and brimstone, Bible preaching, this fellow said. The Christ-honoring, soul-winning, heaven-populating preaching. And if it's true, let's dust off some of our old sermons on hell and use them again. If it's true, he says, let's talk about Jesus. If there is a hell, let's get back to talking about souls more than talking about offerings. Let's, if it's true, let's get back to talking about baptism more than registrations. If it's true, if there's a hell, let's do church work. <laughs> if it's true, let's make the Sunday school more important than the day school. If it's true, let's make the Sunday school teacher more important than the history teacher. If it's true, let's make the deacon more important than the school board. If it's true, let's make saving souls more important than basketball goals. If it's true, let's make soul winning clubs more important than fellowship groups. If it's true, let's find the answer in the father's house and not in the white house. This is what he said. <laughs> is there a hell? It was a good message. All I ask is, hey, preacher, is there a hell? He says, for old-fashioned preaching about warning people about the truth of God, the wrath of God, old-fashioned preaching that there's a hell that's hot and sin that's black and eternity that's long. Several years ago, a man was dying. I was called to his bedside, this pastor said. These were his dying words. Teacher, don't lie to me. I'm dying. Is there really a heaven? Tell me, is it true? Is there heaven? I ask you the question, is there heaven? Is there a lamb that's fairer than day and by faith we can see it afar where the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there? Is that true? Is it true that in my Father's house are many mansions and if it were not so, I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you? Is it true that he'll come again? Is it true that he'll receive me to himself in heaven? Is it true that where he is there I will be also? Is it true that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Is it true that John saw a holy city coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband? Is that true? Then when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is it true? If it is, he says, is it true that on 3.37 p.m. September 30th, my mama really went to heaven, that she's in heaven now? Is it true she's with her two little girls that preceded her in death years before? Can she actually see them and be with them now? Is it true that her blind eyes can now see? Are her shoulders really straight? Is she beholding the face of the one who loved her more than life? Will you see your loved ones again who knew the Lord? Is there a heaven? Is it really true? Well, I could go on. You can see the power of this message. I ask you, he says, is there a hell? Is there a heaven? Do we really stand between the living and dead with our message of the cross? Is Jesus really the difference? Is the need of man the old rugged cross? Was Paul message, Paul's message to the Philippian jailer really right when he said, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved? Did God really so love the world that he gave his only begotten son? If that's true, then what else matters? Isn't that good? Yeah, he was spot on with that message, wasn't he? Well, I love you. I know you love the Lord. I know you love his word. And I thought maybe it would be encouragement to you to learn a little bit more about 
hell and to be reminded about that and to inspire you because I know you're the servers in the church and I know that you're the givers in the church and I know that you are the attenders of the church. I know the church is precious to you and I know that you've given a lot of yourself for this church and I understand that. And let's just keep in mind the glory of heaven and the sweetness of that and the horror of hell and the fear of that. And that's kind of all we're going to really need. We can figure the rest out. Amen. Sing.